My name is Tracy, and I want to speak to you uh, this morning on a verse of Hebrews 12, 15. It says, looking diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, and by it cause you trouble and defile those around you. I think that's a hefty verse. Now, as Bible students, you guys probably hear many verses. I think this one is among those that really is challenging. It says, look diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. I never knew you could actually fall short of grace. I always blended grace and mercy, which I think is okay. But mercy and grace are actually two separate things. Mercy is the unmerited favor that we receive from God. And grace is the gasoline that enables us to act normal around people. Anybody want the person next to you to act normal? Grace is the thing that enables us to say yes to God in a concentrated way. Grace is the thing that enables us to walk uprightly. And Hebrew says, look diligently lest anyone fall short of grace. I don't know about you, but I need some grace in, in my car. I need grace as the gasoline in our cars to get us where we want to go. And the Bible says you can fall short of God's grace. So it says, look diligently. Now, here's the catch. We don't really look diligently for anything anymore unless it's our iPhones. We forget those and, okay, we're, 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 we can barely get out of bed, right? Okay, we can get out of bed, but we're going to look for them before we go to school. We're not going to stop looking till we find those smartphones, are we? Because we're going to look diligently high and low. In this verse, it says, you want to look diligently in the root system of your hearts. Because out of it is the wellspring of your life. Out of it is the wellspring of our disappointments. Out of the bottom of our root system often lie bitterness. Now the dilemma with bitterness is most Christians, if not all Christians, do not ever believe they're bitter, right? Who's bitter in this room? Okay, well, hey, I appreciate your honesty. You're my team. <laughs> we'll chat later. I like you people. I hang out with bitter people. <laughs> those, those are my people. The challenge is most believers don't call themselves bitter. So I don't actually even like using that word, but I'll say this. We're a little crankier than we want to be, aren't we? We're a little more irritated. I mean, we're not angry. We're just a little irritated. I find cynicism is a form of bitterness. We listen to Toby speak, we listen to the worship, and we're like, oh, that dumb song again. Like we're already bored with it, and they haven't started it. They just, the second strum, and we're like, oh, here it comes. <laughs> and we're cynical. We hear Toby pray for people. We hear people speak of conferences, and we're like, yeah, I've been there, done that, it's dumb. That's actually cynicism. Cynicism is actually bitter. We find, ourselves, uh, we find ourselves a little more disbelieving of the things of God. Christians use a term called burned out. It's a Christianese word to say, I'm just a little burned out. I find burned out actually is bitter. Because I'm not burned out on God. I'm burned out on you people. I mean, I love you. But burned out is not okay. 
But I find that when, it, when we look at this verse, it says, look diligently lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root system of bitterness spring up and by it cause you trouble. I find bitterness or disappointment, disappointment's another good term for bitterness. We end up disappointed over and over and over again. And if we don't pay attention to our root systems, the writer of Hebrews says, then it actually is going to cause us trouble. I find it causes us trouble in three main areas, or four main areas. I, I find it causes us trouble spiritually, because when we're in chapel, or we're in our prayer times, we're in our worship times, we aren't connecting with God because there's so much traffic in our hearts. We aren't even aware of the traffic because the, Hebrew, the writer says, look diligently, which means you often don't see it when you just do a Passover. It said, no, 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 go back. Well, I looked, it wasn't there, I don't feel anything. No, 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 do it again. Look diligently. <laughs> don't quit looking because it's a root system, so it's not easily seen. And then it says, so when we get troubled spiritually, we ultimately will be troubled emotionally because my, my emotional bandwidth actually is fed from the Lord. My ability to contain my emotions is directly related to my relationship with the Lord. And so then when I look at that, I'm emotionally troubled. I'm not happy. I'm a little crankier. Things aren't going well. I try so hard. It's not working. How many of us think we just are doing everything right? It's not working. But we have a root system that we didn't know was feeding us. And so from there, then emotionally, emotional trouble actually causes relational dynamics. Anybody? Just consistent relational challenges. And not just from mom and dad. The longer you're with a roommate, the more emotional, relational dynamic you're going to have with that roommate, right? They're not picking up their clothes. They're not making their bed. They stink. They're not doing their chores. And then you're going to have relational dynamics that's troubled. And as you get older, root systems actually, the Bible says uh, bitterness is rottenness to your bones. Now, you're not old. I'm going to be 60. I'm a grandmother. I'm a grandmother of soon-to-be eight children. I have three adult children married. And um, I, I have a beautiful life. But, boy, I start feeling certain things, and it's not just old age. And so the, the, he says, no, Trace, you need to go back and look at a few things that you aren't paying attention to. And I think there's three really clear areas in which we get, we get disappointed in. We don't feel we're getting the, the uh, honor we deserve, the honor in your families, the honor at school, the honor in jobs, the honor just in life. We're not gaining the honor we believe we deserve. We're not gaining the, well, we all don't believe we're getting the financial that we deserve, right? We don't get the financial blessing that we think we deserve. We don't get the financial money from our, from our employers, that we feel we deserve. I believe it's honor, financial, and we don't get the positions. We don't get the promotions. We don't get the job. We don't get the situation. If the leaders just knew who I were, was before the Lord, I would get it. But they give it to the person who acts differently when they're around, but when they're not, they're kind of crazy. Right? So position, honor, and, and finances are three areas in which we believe we don't get what we deserve in. <clears throat> now, now, the writer of Jude, or Jude says, look diligently lest they go the way of Cain. We all know the story of Cain and Abel, right? 
It's a simple story. It's a brother who killed a brother. But it's really a complex story. Because when you look at Cain and Abel, they brought their offerings to the Lord. Pardon me. <coughs> Cain actually brought a basket of vegetables, and Abel brought a, um, um, a lamb, um, an animal to be shed, blood. And so when you look at that, we all know that the Old Testament represents the New Testament, the, the, represents Jesus, the sacrifice. And it had to be a sacrifice of blood. Cain haphazardly brought his sacrifice to the Lord. How many times are we haphazardly bringing our sacrifice to the Lord? And God was not pleased with Cain, but he was pleased with Abel. And so Cain became angry. How dare God not be pleased with him? How many times are we told and we know what to do, but we haphazardly do it? We bear the consequences and then we get angry at the person who gives us the consequence. And that's actually what Cain was doing with God. And he says, Cain, come here, I want to talk to you, buddy. There was a counseling session that God had with Cain prior to Cain going out and killing his brother. Many people forget that. And the counseling session, God asked him three questions. I'm going to ask you these three questions. I want you to ask yourself this. God looked at Cain and said, what are you angry at, Cain? <clears throat> what are you angry at? He says, why, are you, why is your face fallen? Why are you downcast? Which really means oppressed and depressed. He says, Cain, what's going on? Now, do we think God was confused of why Cain was like that? Pardon me. Do we think God was actually confused? No. But he knew Cain was. He asked Cain the question because he knew Cain was confused. He knew Cain didn't know what was in his heart. Isn't God interesting? As a parent, if I know what's going on with my children, I often just want to help them out and tell them what's going on, right? How many times has mom and dad helped you? <coughs> God didn't do that. He helped him by asking him because he wanted Cain to ask himself. He wanted Cain to have some self-realization of what was going on in his soul. And so then he says, now, Cain, if you just turn from those two things, I will make sure your life goes well. Who wants their life to go well? It is God, the author of your life, who chooses how your life goes. And he says, I'll make your life go well, but you're going to turn from, from your Anger, and you're going to turn from your disappointment. You're going to turn from your discouragement. You're going to turn from your depression. You're going to turn from your sadness. You're going to turn from it, and I'll make your life go well. But he says, if you don't turn, here's the deal. I'm going to have sin. It's going to stand on your doorstep, and its desire is going to be for you. Now, what do you, who knew sin actually had a desire? I thought, what? What are you talking about? Sin has a desire. That's goofy. God goes, no, actually, sin has desires. <clears throat> and its desire is going to be for you if you don't turn from your root system that's full of disappointment, that's full of cynicism, that's full of sadness. You're thinking, what? What? Like, what are you talking about, lady? God goes, no, actually, it has a desire. Now, I think of the things I desire. I'm sure you have things you desire. 
to get through school with good grades, amen, that's a good desire. To find a, a, a spouse, a cute one, that's a good desire. Find one that loves the Lord, to have authority in God, that's a good desire. To get a house, a car, a job, amen? Come on, right? Those are things we desire. <clears throat> and so we set out to obtain those desires, don't we? The Lord's promising that sin's desire will be for you and it will get you just like you'll get your desires if you don't turn from your disappointments, if you don't turn from your sadness, <clears throat> if you don't turn. Now he says, there's, sin will have a desire for you, but you shall rule over it. Ultimately, you're going to have to rule over it even though it gets you. If you never turn from your disappointments, if you never turn from your anger like Cain didn't, if you never turn from those things, in the end, sin's desire is going to be for you, but you're still going to have to rule over it. I say, let's work through the issues of our heart, amen? Because sin's hard enough to, to rule over without it having a desire for me. And so then what we see in Cain, <clears throat> what we see in Cain is that after his counseling session with God, he went out and killed his brother. And so many of us think, well, if God talked to me, I'd do it. I mean, it's just my teacher. What do they know? But if God told me, I mean, I'd do it. I think many of us are like Cain. Many of us are like Cain. God talked to him straight up, face to face. Cain, come here, buddy. He goes, now stop it. And from there, Cain went and killed his brother. So you can have the most insightful encounter with God. You can have, I mean, really, when <clears throat> Toby was praying up here, I mean, I just thought, wow, this guy's powerful. You can have the most powerful encounter with God and still go out and do what you want to do. Isn't that a bummer? Uh, come on. Isn't that a bummer? Don't you want to have the most powerful encounter with God, leave here and be nice to everybody? He had the most powerful encounter with God, the presence of the Holy One, and went out and killed his brother. And here's the catch. God didn't stop him. And nor is he going to stop you. That, I just think, come on, God, at least stop us. He goes, no, I'm going to actually let you do what's in your heart. Because I want you to resist what's in your heart if it's against me and against my ways as an act of proving your love to me. Amen? I get up every morning, I say yes to the Lord, I'm nice to those around me, or at least I think I am. I, I, I fast, I'm praying, I'm giving myself, I'm working out my character, I'm choosing to believe what's hard to believe. Some things are hard to believe, aren't they? I'm choosing, like those things, and I'm proving my love to God by my fight to say yes. And so one of the number one ways in which we work through our disappointment and our bitterness is we choose to be thankful for the good deal we're getting. We, we get to choose to be thankful that you're here in America, that you're at a Bible college in, in liberal New York that is not necessarily a God-loving state and yet worship a man named Jesus. Amen? Some of you are going to go out to the missions to countries that do not let their people speak of Jesus. You're going to come back very thankful we live in America. 
We're getting a good deal. I get heaven. Now, we say that, and so it's sort of flippant, but no, I actually am not going to hell. Amen? I mean, hell is real. I'm not going. I get to partner with Jesus and God in setting captives free. I get to say yes. I get to live in a warm house, this heat in this building. I know some of the dorms don't have the heat, but, you know, I say open the windows, throw on some blankets. We'll be good. Act like you're camping. I mean, it's, it's real. So we get to be thankful for the good deals that we're getting. Many of us do not choose to be thankful. Complaining becomes a way of life in American <clears throat> complaining, just complaining. Choosing to not be offended by people around you. In America, we're actually taught to be offended. It says, well, you should be offended. Well, you should be offended they don't like women. Well, you should be offended they don't like Hispanic. Well, you should be offended they don't like this. Well, you should be offended, right? Well, you should, how many of you see that? Well, you should be offended. And you're thinking, Gosh, am I missing something? And they actually become the wise ones, the offended ones, especially on social media. They become the wise ones who goes, well, if you were, if you understood what I understood, you'd be offended. So you're like, ah, I got to figure this out. God goes, no, actually, they're offended. Offense is a sign of the day that we live in. One of the seasons and the signs of the time is offense will grow in the hearts of men and women. And in America, at least, I don't live in other countries, but in America, we're actually trained to be offended. And we're seen as, as uh, not so sensitive if we're not offended. And yet the Hebrew, the Paul, which I think is Paul, the writer of Hebrews goes, you better look at your root system because this thing's going to go bad. It's going to trouble you. And here's the catch. It defiles your friends. Who wants to hang out with a cranky person? I mean, people lie, love people, but the more you complain, the more people are like, Stop. right? Like, oh my word. Like, do you believe God? Let's choose to be thankful. And, and what we're seeing is an increase. But God goes, no, choose to be thankful. It's going to shift the ways in which you've become offended. Are you, are you with me? It's going to shift. And another tool to not being offended and to not being depressed and oppressed and angry is actually to release those who have hurt you. You get to forgive those. It's a bummer. You got to let go of those who have injured you. I live in the world of helping people walk free. One of the number one ways to walk free is to actually work through forgiveness. Now, it may take a while. It may take longer than you want, depending on the offense, depending on the the long-standing pattern in your life of abuse or whatnot. But in the end, we're going to release those who have offended us. It is the height of hypocrisy to be forgiven by Jesus and not forgive. Amen? So, is it until I can't see the clock? I'm sorry. Is it 10 till? So I got about five. Okay. Because I want to pray for you guys. But I, I, I want us to ask the Lord those ways in which our root systems are beginning to grow inside of our hearts. Where our root systems are beginning to inform, not beginning, they've been informing us forever, but where our root systems we're not so connected with.
There's a great verse that says, Know me and try me, O Lord. Search my heart. Search my heart, God. Because some of you are going, if I don't know, I don't know. And that's right, but the Lord will search, and he's super faithful, isn't he? He's going to put that finger on you, and you're going to go, okay, I'm good. He goes, no, 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 you want to know? I'm just going to keep my finger there for a minute. Come on, God. We want to be godly men and women, do we not? We want to live as living sacrifices to his name. We want to show up in different lands, different states, wherever our mission is, and be able to say, follow me because I'm actually following him. I'm actually doing what he's asking me to do. And often it's to drill down in the areas of our heart that we don't like looking at. But he's really faithful. He's beautifully faithful. And he goes, Tracy, I can help you with this one. But I need you to actually pay attention. I need you to actually yield to my ways. Amen? So I want to pray for you. Is the work, will the worship team come back up? Okay. Can I have that unbelievable worship team come back up? Such a blessing to have you guys. Really, you're so good. <clears throat> and I, if I could have everyone just stand where you are, I'm going to just pray for you right where you are. Super light. Oh, okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to have us close our eyes. I don't actually even want you singing with the worship team, even if you know the song. I don't actually even want you praying. I know, go figure. But I'm going to draw a picture. I'm going to speak of a picture. You're going to draw it. I'm going to speak of a picture that Revelations 4 speaks of. It's called the throne room. You all know it, right? So everyone close your eyes. It says that, everyone close your eyes. (laughs) It says that God sits on his throne. And Jesus sits at his right hand. It says there's a sea like glass in front of him. It says it's a beautiful sapphire sea, probably the prettiest color of sapphire the eye has ever beheld. It says there's a fire on that sea that burns on top of that sea. It says there's 24 elders on smaller thrones in that throne room with white robes and gold crowns. It says there's the seven lampstands that represent the seven spirits of God. I'm not making this up. This is in your Bible. This is in Revelations 4. It says there's four living creatures that fly around the throne, crying out day and night, holy is the lamb. They circle his throne. Eyes all within, eyes without. Three sets of wings. The four living creatures that see everything about God. And all day they cry out, holy is the lamb. The saints that have gone on before us, those that have died in God, have in Jesus, have actually are already in heaven. There are the myriad and myriad and myriad and myriad and untold number of angels. You find yourself in that room. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come rest on us. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to actually come touch you in a place or two. And in your hearts of which you're not connected to. Sing a good song. There you go. You pick it out. I don't want you to pay attention to this. You're locked into that. You're locked into the picture. This is to me called practicing the presence. Some of us can't do it. We're bored in three minutes. You're in that throne room. I ask you right now, Holy One, come, rest on them. 
Let him touch you. Don't resist him. Stand, some of you need to just stand still. Take a deep breath. There you go. Do not sing the song. My goal is for you to stand before him and him touch you. That's it, right there. That's it. All over this room. Touch them. Let them see that one area they've not seen. Let them see that one person, that one institution, that church, that school, that football team that they're offended by, that people group that they've been hurt by, that they are going to lay down a release all over this room. That's it. Stay with it. Touch them, Father. That's it. Stay with it. Holy Spirit. You're engaging with the living God in that room. Stay locked in. Stay locked in. Some of you are hiding in that room. You can't stand before God. You're hiding too much. He says, it's okay. You can crawl up on his lap. I remove that fire on that sea and sometimes I dance on that sea. Stay in that room. Stay there. This is, this is the one we love right here. That's it. Beautiful. All over this room, the Lord is touching people. Touch them, Father. Shift the atmosphere right now. Shift the atmosphere in their hearts. Shift it, Father. Shift the mindsets right now in the name of Jesus. Let them see what they didn't see before. Let them see. We say we need you, God. We declare your need for us in our souls. We want gasoline in our cars. We need the grace of God to say yes, Lord. So I ask all over this room, all over this room, we're asking, Father, for an increased measure of grace to say yes. So show us our root systems, Father. Show us the areas in which we've been injured, which we've been overlooked. That's it. Stay with it. When temptation comes this is where you lock into him. When I it's before this throne room we sing our praises. When you're doing worship, you're in front of this throne room. You're not in front of the stage. You're in front of a living God. When you're praying, this is where you're praying. You're, you're standing. Galatians says, it's a throne of grace. We come and we boldly stand. And we say, Father, search us and try us. That's it. Stay there. That's it. Oh, all over this room. Come, Lord. Shift. We're asking for a shift. We're asking for a shift. Shift the atmosphere. Mark these ones in this room as ones who will never be successful sinners. Mark them, Father. Mark them. We ask that you would mark these ones in this room. Mark them with your love. Mark them with your affection. Mark their hearts. Brand their hearts.
hearts with the knowledge, with the assurance that you love them, Lord. That you love them. That you love them. That you love them. Stay with it. He says he's not mad at you. He's not even disappointed in you. He says, I'm drawing you to me. This is how I do it. Stay right there. Stay right there. That bright light shining on you. That warmth that says when he speaks, thunder and lightning come from that throne room. That's it. We say thank you, Father. I ask you all throughout the day, all throughout the week, there would just be moments where they think, oh gosh, that's there. Oh, that's what she was doing. Oh, I feel it. Oh, it's this. Oh yeah, I'm hurt here. I'm disappointed here. That you would be with them, Father. That you would walk with them. That the history of Elam Institute, the hundred-year history that has gone before them and that will go after them, that these ones that have said yes to Jesus would be marked by that history. Would be marked by the privilege of saying yes to your name. We say we thank you, Father. I ask you to seal in them this work. Do not let them be able to shake your love off of them, no matter what they put their hand to. I ask that these ones would never be successful sinners, but that all the days of their life they would stand steady in the day of darkness. Unmoving, unshaking, unshaken, and unmoving by what society says about your name, Jesus. Do it, Lord, in Jesus' name.